Good morning. Good to see you today. Today I have the pleasure of introducing one, as they say, who really needs no introduction. Roger Davis has been a member of our class and a member of this church for many years, has been very involved. But there are a couple things I do want to tell you more specifically than that. One is that when I asked Roger if he would be willing to teach one of the lessons on living generously, of course he said yes. The reason I wanted to ask him was because to me he personifies that every day. One of the ways that he does that, I observed yet again last Sunday, Linda and I are down the sanctuary of the lights. You really can't see much beyond the lights. But when I was trying to keep my composure, I saw Roger. And Roger was, as he always is, very supportive, just an expression of his face. So please welcome Roger as he comes to teach us this morning. Well, guess what? It's stewardship time again. <clears throat> You're either going to be hearing Frank Foyle, Don McNew, or me, right? Don McNew is next week. Today is my day in the mail. So here we are. <clears throat> um, we do an annual focus on stewardship. But stewardship is not a one-time-a-year event. It is a continuous, every day, every hour, every minute event. And so what I'd like to do today is I would like for us to think about a perspective on stewardship. Okay, now... There are three things we don't, most people do not like to talk about. Your age, we're not going to talk about that. Your weight, we're not going to talk about that. But we are going to talk about your money. And so just relax, settle down. Everything that I'm going to tell you, at least most of it, is in the Bible. And you can go look it up if you would like to. So we're going to talk about, or we're going to encourage you to develop a personal perspective on stewardship. This is for you personally. Only you can do this. But it has to be lived out every day. Now, before we get into the stewardship, I want to put it into context. I met you and I talked, and I told him that I would do this. Five things God expects of us. And you have to do all five of these if you're going to put stewardship into perspective. <clears throat> the first is we are to love God. When Jesus was asked, what is the great commandment? He said to love your Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And so as we love God, as we think about what we do, we're conscious that worship is a part of that. 
reading our Bible is a part of it, our relationship with other people. There are a lot of things that are involved in that. But when we put God first, when we love God, in return for us loving Him, He gives us a satisfying relationship with Him. Okay? Then Jesus continued talking to the rich young ruler and he said the second most important commandment is that you love one another. And we do that through caring, through being available to people, and being conscious of their needs. Now, when we love other people, God gives us a rewarding relationship with others. Third, God wants us to love ourselves. Now, you can say, wait a minute. That self-love, where did you come about? Where did you get that? If you read Psalms 8, Psalms 8 says, I, and this is the psalm that's saying to God, I cannot understand how you can bother with mere, mere puny man to pay attention to him. And yet, you made him a little lower than the angels. And you placed a crown of glory on his head. And you put him in charge of everything. Okay. Now, when we have a good self-image of ourselves, then God gives us a satisfying relationship with ourselves. God loves us just the way we are, but He wants us to be more like Christ. And when we live to do that, God gives us a satisfied, satisfying relationship with us being who we are. Now, the fourth thing that God wants us to do is to be a servant. Jesus said, whoever will be great among you will be your servant. And so, no matter what it is, there's nothing too small or too big that God won't help you do for other people. So find a way to be a servant. And when you find a way to be a servant, God gives you something meaningful and purposeful to do. And then the last thing that we're talking about now is to be a good steward. In Corinthians, Paul says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that they be found faithful. So God expects us to be a good steward. He put everything under the dominion of man. Of man. And he expects us to be good stewards of that. Now, when we are good stewards, God frees us from the tyranny of things. When you're, when you're acting as a good steward, you begin to forget all of the I wants, me, mine, ours. And it becomes... 
I am the steward of what God has entrusted to me. Now, frequently we say that I sure wish God would entrust more to me. Okay? That might be a problem. If he gave us too much, we might not be good stewards of that. So, now if we are going to develop a perspective on personal stewardship, we need to go to the source. We need instruction. Everything has an instruction book, right? Well, here's one. We bought a new cell phone. It's what you see me working with there are the instructions on how to set it up and how to use it. Okay? There were more instructions than any one human being could absorb. Our instruction book for stewardship and for all of these things we've talked about is the Bible. Now, the instruction, there are 2,300, at least 2,350 verses in the Bible that deal with stewardship. And if you would like all of those, I have them in a book at home. The book, it was compiled by Larry Burkett, who started Crown Ministries. He and a friend, he was not a Christian, and a friend of his witnessed to him. He became a Christian, and then they were both accountants and in the financial field, and they began to talk. And Larry just one day offhand said, there's nothing in the Bible about finance and stewardship. And the guy said, oh, yes, there is. They coveted to read the Bible and highlight every verse. They ended up reading the Bible about three times, and when they finished, they had found 2,350 verses. They deal with every aspect of stewardship. Because stewardship involves more than just giving back to God. Two-thirds of the parables that Jesus used address stewardship in some way. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the time when Jesus sat watching the widow who came to give her meager amount. That scripture says that Jesus watched intently as she did that, and then he complimented her. And then there are numerous incidents in the Old Testament. If you just read the Old Testament and think about the number of times that God displayed Himself in a stewardship way. The children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear out and their sandals didn't wear out. He fed them every day with manna. And when they complained bitterly, He sent quail for them. They weren't content just to have one or two quail. They ate a lot of them, and you know what? They got sick. That is an example to us. If God gives you too much and you don't use it right, it may be a bad thing for you. But there are numerous incidents in the Old Testament that deal with stewardship. 
that the instructions that God gives us. As we're looking at stewardship, there is a part of that that is God's part. And this is a verse that you have to memorize if you take the crown course. This is the first week. It is the longest, but it is also the basis of the course. Everything in the heavens and earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as being in, being in control of everything. Riches and honor come from you alone, O Lord, and you are the ruler of all mankind. Your hand controls power and might, and it is at your discretion that men are made great and given power. That is the key verse for Crown Ministries. And if we think in terms of that, everything comes from God. He already owns it. We are just temporary caretakers of what He entrusts to us. But God gave us a part in this. And that part involves earning, spending, saving, and of course, giving back. The one we, the verse we look at here is from Corinthians. Paul had told them to take up an offering and have it ready so that he could take it to the church that were in need. And he said, it is required of a steward that he be found faithful. And that includes being faithful with earning an income, spending the income you earn, saving what you should save, and then giving. Then, Giving is a part of this. Well, what does it... No, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's a lesson we have to unlearn from our childhood. We would much rather receive than give in most cases. And then there's an eternal perspective of this. For what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now, let's just look quickly at some aspects of giving. First is our attitude about giving. Whether we want to admit it or not, we all have an attitude about everything. Sometimes it, sometimes it shows and is obvious. Sometimes we hide it. But there is an attitude. Um, 
our approach to giving? How do we approach it? Where do we give? The amount, this is where it really gets sketchy. We'll talk about this a little later. And then the results of giving. So let's go back to the attitude. God's standard of giving is based on His giving His only Son. So if we use that as the ultimate gift, then it makes our giving look small in comparison. But he also says, give cheerfully. Each one must do as he has purpose in his heart. Not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now if you take the word cheerful here, it can be translated hilarious. So God would like for you to be a hilarious giver. So as you give, whatever it is you're giving, you should be hilarious about that. Then our approach to giving. It's personal. It's periodic. Paul said, gather the money into the church on the first day of the week so that it will be available. Now, in this day and age, a lot of people don't give weekly. I don't. You may not give monthly, but you need to give periodically and you need to know when it is or what you're going to give. Then it's a priority. It is not after you've paid all the bills and it's what's left over. It's premeditated. I have thought through it. I have prayed about it. I have discerned what God would have me do in terms of giving. And it's without pride. The Pharisees made their big contributions. They wore the robes. They had the things on their head and they did it all for show. Yet, Jesus watched intently as the widow with her might dropped her offering into the offering plate. Now places to give. We sometimes get hung up on this. The local church to me is the primary place that I give. But we also support Christian ministries. We have supported Crown Ministries for years because of what it has done in our lives. We have some missionaries that we support, that we have supported, we don't totally support them, we've partially supported them over 35 years. But we know them and we know their ministry and we're involved in that ministry. Then the poor. We, Christ admonishes us to remember the poor and the widows. Okay? And so that is a, another place to get. And then I believe that secular charities, you may be involved with the Heart Association, you may be the Lung Association, the Salvation Army, some of those. That is giving. But let's talk about the amount to give. 
People get hung up on the legalism of tithing. And I don't want to do that. I personally believe that 10% is the tithe that God asked for. And I believe that it is 10% of four taxes. Now, a lot of people ask the question, shouldn't it be 10% before tax or after tax? The answer to that is, do you want God to bless the gross or the net? Okay, you have to answer that question. So 10% is out of obedience. Then there is another type of giving that comes into play. It's called gifts and offerings. This comes out of abundance. If God has abundantly blessed you in some way, you may say, well, I will take that blessing and give 10% of it. But He gave you way more than you really need or deserve. So would you make a special gift out of that? There, there are any number of instances where people have come into resources. A lot of times not of, because of something they did. But it's out of those resources we give out of abundance. Now let me tell you about one that I really like. And it's a faith promise. We have done this a couple of times here, but we did it in a church in New Jersey. We were building a building, and we needed to fit up the building. So we had a number of people who agreed to do a faith promise. And the way this works is, you say to God, God, if you give me a certain amount, if I, if I get that through some unusual circumstance, I won't give you 10%, I'll give you all of it. And it is amazing the stories that came back from people. We had one guy who, who um, said, I'm going to give $1,000. I'll trust God to provide it some way or other. Well, we had a banquet at the church annually. We went to the banquet. We did door prizes. He won one of those outside houses that you can construct out of metal. He already had one. He had a friend sitting at the table who said, I'll give you a thousand dollars for that house. There was his faith promise. And I don't know where it's going to come from, but try it sometime. Because it is a wonderful experience. Then God builds character through our giving. It's God's desire that we conform to uh, the life of Christ. It uh, builds character. It increases our intimacy with God when we give. Now this one gets a little sticky because people will say, well, if I figure that if I give, God will bless me more. So if I give more, God will bless me more. 
That is not the way it works. God gives first, and then we give back. And God will entrust to you those things that he thinks you can handle. And then we invest for eternity. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt. Now the stewardship principle that we'd like to talk about is each one must give as he has purpose in his heart. Not grudgingly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. This continues to come up. We've already talked about it. The true essence of stewardship and every time we do a stewardship program we find different emphases. You know, we'll come up with this year we're going to emphasize this. This year we're going to emphasize this. We're going to have a motto for this. We're going to have a slogan for that. I think we need to zero in on stewardship or what it does to the individual. So to me the essence is number, number one, we need to understand God's financial principles. We need to study it we need to understand it so that we can apply it to our lives. That allows us to know Christ more intimately when we do that. If, he, if two-thirds of his parables dealt with, with stewardship, if there are 2,300 verses in the Bible that deal with it, certainly Christ understands it. If he understands it and we understand it the same way, it makes our relationship with him tighter. Now, there is a reason for understanding it and having the same understanding that Christ has. It frees us up to serve him. See, if I'm always worried about finances... If I'm always worried about, am I doing this right? Is this going to work out? I am not as free to do what Christ calls me to do. And I'll give you a good example. This is personal. I retired relatively early. And I had been retired about six months when Malone came to me and said, Roger, you and Gail are chairman of evangelism and John Wolf, our Minister of Evangelism, had just left, and he said, would you do that job for six months till we get a new person in? I said, sure. He says, well, what? I, you need to go talk to Lynette Cock and Bill Johnson, a couple other people, about what we need to pay you. I said, well, Malone, I'll do it for nothing. He says, no, I want you to go talk to him. So I went and talked to him, and we decided on a number. It was not a big number either. But in, in any event, we said we would do it for six months on a part-time basis. So I asked Malone, I said, now tell me about this part-time basis. He says, well, I figure it's a half-time job, and you're free to work any 12 hours of a day you like. 
you, Roger. Thank you. Got one announcement I forgot to make. This is the week that the RUMC Men's Club has the opportunity to get up early and have our meeting at 6.45 a.m. in the dining room, and that'll be this coming Thursday that we meet. So amen, would like to attend. It was the first one was last month, and, and it's very good. Jason Scott from the Youth Ministry is going to be the speaker. So I'd like to close today with our thought for the day. And this is one that uh, I have to think about a lot because I think I'm way down on the list. But if you don't learn from mistakes, there's no sense making them. 